Welcome to the good old days of radio show. Now you're probably wondering, who's this voice speaking to you and what did I do with John? Well, my name is Daniel Chase and I'm one of the co-creators of the good old days of radio show. Very much a behind the scenes person. And John is with me here now in the studio and he uh, graciously suggested that I open the show today because we're going to do something very different on today's show. We're going to be talking about the poll results that we did for the first series, the top 10 horror series that we did. Now, once in a while, I'll get um, ideas of things that we can try here on the podcast, and some of them work out and some of them don't work out as well. You're like a young Arch Obler. Well, that's a great compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arch Obler always said, they always asked him, where do you get your ideas? That's one of the taglines from Lights Out. And Obler used it in books and magazine articles and all over the place. Uh, he would start out by saying, people always ask me, where do you get your ideas? So, well, I think it's just not enough sleep and too much coffee. More Arch Obler references. Okay. Uh, uh, he had problems sleeping, and he was highly addicted oh, to wow. coffee. Keep going. Okay. Well, it's been 10 weeks since we've done this. I so, don't know the results of this, by the way, so this is all going to be new to me. Well, He's going to spring it on me as we sit here and talk. It's on the Facebook page. That well, shows where you how much I pay attention to we, that. Uh, <laughs> we, we have it set up there, and it's ongoing, so you can actually still vote for this if you want oh, to. Oh, it's like an election in the United States. Yes. It never ends. You can keep voting I mean, and it, voting and voting. It goes on forever. Now, you can uh, still, if you haven't yet, go and listen to the Top 10 Horror Series. It's still available on our website, goodolddaysofradio.com. If you go to Episodes, there's a nice playlist there of the Top 10 Horror Series. You can find that, and I'll put a link to that a YouTube series in the description of this podcast, so you can click on that. and I'm not and, sure if people are aware of this, but every single episode that we've done since the beginning is all available. So if you just happen to find this show somewhere down the line and you're listening and go, oh, this is pretty neat, I'll listen again next week, but you don't realize you can listen for weeks and weeks and weeks prior, all you have to do is go find them and listen in your spare time. We will suck up every minute of your spare time. Well, and you could be spending that time doing much worse things than listening to great old-time radio shows. Well, we won't discuss any of those. <laughs> yes. So hopefully this discussion will encourage you to go listen to those great horror shows. Now, first of all, before we get into it, horror. And John, you're a big comedy guy. So how Yes. How did you get into horror? Okay, classic oh, okay. Horror, so this is going to be more of, a, of an interview besides poll, well, poll, poll I'm just, results. Well, okay. this is an introduction. That's fine. Um, when I was very young, I didn't start out as a comedy fan. I started out as a fan of the Universal Monster films at five, six, seven, eight years old. Those were on television in Los Angeles where I grew up, and you could watch them. There's, there was one at least a week. You could see Frankenstein or Dracula or the Wolfman or one of those things. Every, every, every few weeks they were running them constantly. And I really liked those. As a young kid, I thought those were really fascinating. Um, it was shortly after I discovered all those that I discovered comedy. So actually, 
Uh, the Universal Horror films were my first discovery of vintage things. And did those movies scare you when you were little? No, no. I just mm-hmm. found them. I found them very interesting. I can watch just about anything, even some of the really so-called scary stuff from modern day, and it doesn't really scare me. Occasionally, when the director does one of those real quick jump cuts, yeah, where the, you, you'll the jump, jump a, scare you'll, you'll jump a little bit. But other than that, no. I just want, when I'm watching those things, I'm watching them more now, especially from a technical point of view as to how the makeup was done and what they did, the storyline, the music that's used to enhance the scenes. I've always been into that aspect of it rather than just the scary aspect of it. I just find all of that stuff fascinating. So interestingly enough, horror works so well for radio and you don't have the visual effects, but that's part of the reason why it works so well. Horror works better in many ways on radio than it does in films. And if you really turn out your lights, as I've said when we were doing these things, if you turn out your lights, sit in a room by yourself, and listen to some of the best of the horror shows, they can have much more of a scary impact on your brain because they turn on your imagination uh, in a way that films do not. With film, you see it. You see the monster or or you see he's coming or you you have visuals to look at. There's a guy in the rubber suit coming. Whatever. Whatever it is, you see it coming, whereas with the, the radio programs, the script writers would use words to conjure up images in your brain and those images that you conjure up in your brain can be much more graphic and much more frightening than anything that ever appears on your screen. And also in addition to that you have music which was Correct. very well done with The Universal often Horror stuff is has fabulous scores behind it. Full orchestral yes. uh, orchestral scores uh, including in these radio shows sound effects, and usually one or two or three very talented voice actors, and combining that with your imagination, this stuff can be very persuasive. Right, and that's that's what I like about it. And that is actually, I, I did a version of this show before, about 20 years ago, as some of you know. And when I did that, the most popular programs that I played then, and it seems like it's the same now, are these vintage scary shows. They are pretty much timeless. Most of the best ones are written in such a way that if you didn't know they were written for a 1940s audience or 1930s audience, you wouldn't know. You couldn't tell. They could have been something that would have been produced by uh, local radio today. So that's, that's, that's what I mean when I say uh, vintage radio for a modern audience. We, we draw you in with things that can tickle your imagination and not make you feel like you're listening to grandpa's stuff or something right. like that. It, it's very contemporary, contemporarily well-written. Uh, I think, too, though, to differentiate horror, classic horror, from the 30s and 40s is very different from horror of 2022. Uh, well, yeah. It, it's not as graphic by any right. means. Um, it has a more artsy look to it, much more much more class, much more uh, interestingly done. Uh, there can be good modern-day horror films. I've seen a few, but most of them just rely on tons of 
like gore and buckets of blood and crazy people doing absolutely insane things. And that gets old really quick. I, I want a good story. I want something I can follow. I want something that logically is possible, even though it might be maybe completely far-fetched. It's not like some psycho killer just ripping people's throats up. And uh, <laughs> that, that happens, I guess, but best we don't see that. Uh, so top 10 horror. So this was one of the most popular types of programs on radio back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. So obviously there are hundreds of these shows, or there were hundreds of these shows produced back then. Most how, of them survive, not all, but most. Well, how did you go about picking 10 of those to say that those were the top 10? Well, it's or the top 10 for me. How did you choose this list? But it was chosen years ago. I used to run the Spurdvac radio archives in Los Angeles, and I also worked part-time at Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters in Los Angeles. So I had access to thousands and thousands and thousands of radio shows. And my job was to either file them or record them or somehow deal with them. And so during a fairly short period of time, from when I was about 14 years old up until I was in my mid-30s, I guess that's a longer period of time, but anyway, for a period of time, I listened to thousands and thousands of those things. Whatever there was available, I would sit and listen to it. And some I would record and keep and put in my archives, and others I just let fly by. It didn't, didn't mean anything to me because I didn't think they were that good. So of the ones that I saved, I thought I saved the very best of what there was existing, and some are missing, but of the ones that are existing, I saved what I thought was the very best. And then I can now go to the archives here in my warehouse where we're sitting, and I can pull out tapes or uh, CD transfers of original transcriptions of those programs. So I just did it from my memory from years ago um, when Daniel approached me about doing this show last year. I hadn't listened to vintage radio much in 20 years. I did a lot in the 90s when I was doing the first show here in the Rogue Valley and in Southern Oregon, uh, and I did a lot before that when I was actually making the transcription transfers and dealing with the Spurdvac archives and Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters archives. I did a lot then, but I kind of walked away from it in the mid-90s when that show ended and continued on with other things and would occasionally listen to a radio show, but not that much. But mm -hmm. my interest has been rekindled to do this show. And so I just go from memory is what I remember to be the best shows from those time, those categories, and that's what I pulled to present here on the Good Old Days of Radio Show. So polls. Now we have a lot more listeners than people who actually went out and voted. That's why we have the but country we have now. We, uh, <laughs> but we. Uh, Five of these shows were voted for, and I'll just go, I'll, I'll start with... Five out of the ten, which means five didn't get any votes at all. And some of those are great programs, but, <laughs> but obviously not... But see, you got this, this big non-voting public of, out there. Of the people who voted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you can still do it, as I no mentioned No wonder before. we're in trouble here. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll just go through the results as they are right now, starting with... Number five, and then I'll work up to number one here, and okay. we'll kind of talk about those shows. Okay. As well. You want to mention the ones that didn't get any votes? 
No, oh. those ones shall forever be forgotten. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but see, there's still time to vote. So That's right. We could do this whole thing again in six months, and it could be a whole different result. If we find that a major injustice has been done. <laughs> Get out there and Now vote. is your chance. Yes. Let people know what... Hurry up before the inflation kicks in. So, starting here with, with number five is Dracula. So, okay. now... Dracula is one of the most listened to of our podcasts, based on our analytics here. What makes this show special? Why did you pick this one? Well, A, I like Orson Welles. I think Orson Welles could read the phone book and I would be entertained. He does especially well with drunken wine commercials, too. You can find those (laughs) on YouTube. Um, But Orson Welles just, it amazed me that as a 20-something-year-old man, he did this as his first radio program on the Mercury Theater. This was the opening show for the Mercury Theater of the Air, most famous for War of the Worlds, which I don't find that great. I think War of the Worlds is fine for what it is, but but I think Dracula is a far better performance and a far better uh, story to present on radio. Um, So Orson Welles' interpretation of Dracula is what I thought was really good. I thought the way they adapted, it's slightly different than the film, uh, more along the lines of the novel. And it just really great performances by everybody in the cast. So that's why I picked that one. I think you can tell, too, that they're trying really hard to make a big impression. Because this was their first, the Mercury Theater was locally known in New York at that time. And this was their first, not the first radio show that Orson Welles and some of his Mercury Theater had ever done, but this was the first official Mercury Theater show. Right. So when they're talking about all of the rave critic reviews and and things as they're opening the shows, you can tell that they're trying to get their uh, product out there. Now, one thing that we didn't talk about is leading up to the fascinating script or the the show that was done the war of the worlds which is really interesting to listen to now is that the mercury theater was on opposite charlie the edgar charlie, bergen McCarthy, and charlie show. mccarthy show yes uh, and everybody was listening to edgar, edgar bergen and charlie mccarthy very few were listening to the mercury theater it was known in new york as daniel just said but Across the country, in the heartland of America, nobody had a clue what the Mercury Theater on the air was, but they all knew who Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy were. So they had a a real hill to climb to get an audience, and they were trying very hard, and they succeeded maybe not in getting a big audience, but in certainly producing some of the finest radio of the time. Well, and eventually they did get a big audience with that War of the Worlds yeah, thing. Yeah, after was that, yeah. What most people, the first exposure to the Mercury Theater would have been. Right, right. Um, well, because that became a, such a big deal. And the story with that, as I understand it, and I wasn't there, and I'm not old enough to know this for sure, but the story is that Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, on that particular night, it was Halloween night in uh, 1938, they brought on some kind of guest singer, and I don't know who it was, although somebody out there will, because I'm, I think that show exists. Mm-hmm. And they, br- they brought on a singer who was not particularly entertaining, and so the heartland of America started switching the dial to see what else they could find, and in doing that, they <laughs> kept hearing reports of Martians landing all over the United States, and it started freaking people out. Right. So uh, let's move on here to number four on the list, is the 10 years. 
So this is very different type of horror shows than any of the other ones on this list because there is no supernatural element here. Right. There's no monsters. There's madness. Weird people. And terror. (laughs) (laughs) Some weird people doing some weird things. A crazy psycho lady. But yeah, no monsters. But the acting in this one. Um, Very intense. Yeah, some would say it's over the top. I don't think yeah. it's over the top. I think it's right where it should be, but it's really intense. And um, Joan Crawford and yeah, Lorraine Tuttle. Yep. Uh, the, Joan Crawford, of course, was really great in lots of things. Horror was not really her specialty, but she. Well, she, she did pulled, that one, the woman's face, where she had plastic surgery, and that's kind of a freaky. Okay. You not, may have is never that a seen radio that. show or a No, movie? that's a movie. Okay, I guess so. I haven't seen that. But uh, Lorene Tuttle was good at horror because she worked with Arch Obler on Lights Out, and she did a lot on Suspense. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, uh, producer William Spear on this one really, from what you can hear, pushed the performances to the to the breaking point basically to where it's so crazy that if you're not really <laughs> not really paying attention you're just going to go what is going on here and if you are paying attention you'll go oh my what's next right <laughs> so. now suspense did several episodes similar to this yeah um, it was a, a story that they did with different titles too as i remember it there was one where... Um, one is called The Sisters and one is called well, The Ten Well, I don't years. think I've ever heard that one. But oh, mm-hmm. uh, there's one similar to this where a, a woman gets trapped in her house. It's um, Agnes Moorhead with Frank Sinatra oh. when Frank Sinatra, he, he was very young and he, he was just known. Trying to be an actor, yeah. Well, it was, would have been one of his very first acting roles, but he was mostly known as a singer then. Right. Uh, but he was playing like this psycho person who had I don't know that we'll have to dig that out and play it sometime it's kind of a similar type of storyline but yes suspense did lots of shows like this but this one was special because as you mentioned the performances and it's just really kind of a disturbing premise to the show yeah it disturbed the heck out of my kids when they were young I, I put it in we were on a trip somewhere and i put it in the car when i had my nieces and nephews in the car and they were all freaking out and my wife said take that out you're just destroying these kids too young too young well anyway and do they still remember that <laughs> oh they still remember it and they still bring it up every now and then yes they have do. they gone back and listened yes to that show? they have and it still disturbs them <laughs> all right well um <laughs> So that's our number four. Number three on the list is The Hitchhiker. Now, this one is, I think, a classic of all time. This one has very few dated things in it, except maybe him putting the coins coins into into the the thing and to call long distance. But that was something that you did back then. So even that was interesting. But that could be updated very easily now. And that that was actually used on a Twilight Zone episode as well. Yeah, I just saw that Twilight Zone episode, and I don't know if you remember it. It was Sort of. It was very well done, but just the way that the radio show was done, it felt very lonely, where you have Orson Welles, he's in his car driving, and he. it just feels like a, a really solitary story. Like, it's him alone, and so you can kind of... When he sees the hitchhiker alongside the road, you kind of get a sense of what he's 
feeling and just the way that it starts to eat away yeah. at And again, him. it's Orson Welles who can pull off anything like this and make you, be- make you believe it. As I mentioned, the Twilight Zone episode for a TV show of that time was very well done, but still the aspect of the imagination of not exactly seeing the hitchhiker, whereas you see him very clearly, and they even have close-up shots of him in the show, isn't quite as scary as in your own imagination, imagining this drab figure that... Well, that's almost the power of radio. Looking, yes. That's the power of radio. You create that character. It's not shoved in your face on the screen. Okay. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk no, about? No, it one? was written by Lucille Fletcher, who was married to Bernard Herman, who did the music on the show. Number two on the list is The House in Cypress Canyon. Um, okay. This one is maybe the first really scary show that I ever heard. And I heard it when I was listening to your show. <laughs> 20 years uh, ago. Which I have to say, this podcast, The Good Old Days Radio Show, is really multi-generational at this point. Because John started out playing these shows on his Good Old Days of Radio Show during the mid-90s. And I was just a kid then, about 10 or 11. And um, I remember listening to some of the scary shows. Some of them, my parents wouldn't let me listen to. They're like, are you listening to that show again? (laughs) They were wise. Um, But I remember we were all sitting around, and uh, you had said uh, you should turn off the lights or something for this Mm -hmm. one. So we did it, not knowing what was coming. (laughs) (laughs) See? And about halfway through, I don't want to spoil it if you've not heard the show, you should definitely go check this one out because it's one of the weirdest, most mysterious shows. It's completely that, illogical. Well, and, <laughs> but is it? You know, That's it's really hard to yes. uh, wrap your brain around this one. Right. But about halfway into that, when the blood was running underneath the door. Okay. I turned on the light because <laughs> I could said, not stand That's enough. It. <laughs> That's enough. What are you doing to me here? That's enough. Yeah. And well. uh, honestly, listening to it now, I, I think it's still as scary, although I do bring that baggage with me of remembering it, listening to it, and being scared as a kid to this one. Well, in the older days of collecting radio shows uh, in the 70s and into the 80s, which was, I guess, prime period for most people who are old enough to have done that, that particular episode was always considered like the number one of all time in terms of scary radio shows. Um, It's number two here, so it sounds like something has bested it, which we will find out in a minute what that is, and I'm curious with that myself. Okay, well, there's a little bit of a twist in the tail here, Uh because... I said it was number two, but it's actually tied with number one. Oh, so we have oh, a, tie a tie at the top. Now, again, if you think something is wrong here, go fix this. Yeah, get rid uh, of that tie. It would just take one person to fix this Remember problem. Remember that thing about your vote doesn't count? You have one vote now. It will count. So the house in Cypress Canyon could either be the number two or the number one. Right now it's uh, jockeying for position with the thing on the floorboard. Oh, board. Okay which is number one, and again, there's a mystery aspect to this show where it also is very illogical Correct. if you think about it too hard. But then again, they nothing is known or explained about what happens in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, um, that's 
interesting from that perspective because that was always, to me, the weirdest radio program I had ever heard. It was like, wait, what? Right. And <laughs> uh, I can't give it away because if you haven't heard it, you got to go hear it. Yes. But the whole premise of it starts out fairly innocently and then all of a sudden just progresses to the point of total insanity and weirdness. And by the time you get to the end, if you haven't guessed what's coming, you really get thrown for a loop and go, oh, what did I just listen to? What? what? <laughs> yeah, and I don't think it's spoiling to say that it is. there is some kind of a supernatural thing going on, and there is a monster in this right. one. There is uh, a monster. That is not just a guy walking around in a rubber suit. It's a very unique, imaginative creature. And what they dig out of the pipe is quite interesting, too, because they dig something else out of there first, right. which is never explained No, where that came from and why it was associated with what happens after that. No, it's But just, it does sort of get your imagination going. It's very creative writing on this one. Willis Cooper, who wrote that show... Him and Arch Obler had the two greatest imaginations as far as writing strange stories. Cooper actually, I think, takes it further than Arch Obler. Arch Obler can be weird, Arch Obler can be scary, but Arch Obler almost has a almost campy aspect to a lot of his stuff. Whereas Willis Cooper, who wrote uh, Quiet Please, it's not really camp. It's, it's like, how bizarre can I get and get away with it. Uh -huh. And if I think I pointed this out when we played the thing on the floorboard, if you listen very carefully at the very end after the monster is revealed and everything happens, as they're signing off from that, you can hear the announcer or somebody in the studio laughing in the background. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we just pulled this off. I don't know how many people are going to get what we just did. There's definitely a, a weird aspect to even the people that performed this that at the end of the show, they're like, oh my God, what did we just do? Yeah, and uh, two, I think that having listened to, I've heard probably every Quiet Please, it was not a super long running series. I think, and this is not, this is just me guessing from listening to the show. Willis Cooper never in the rehearsal did his little bit, you know, where he teases what's coming up on the mm -hmm. next episode. I think he just sprung that on them every time That's in such a way, in such a yeah. weird, yeah. you know, the way that he would tease the next thing. He was trying to get the actors to c crack up, and they had never, they had not heard what he said before. But. I, I, I think that's very possible because it was a very small cast. It was usually just two or three people in the cast. They didn't have a big budget for the show, um, but Cooper kept writing these <laughs> strangely bizarre mm -hmm. scripts. Uh, Thing in the Floral Board probably is the most bizarre of all the ones he wrote because I've heard all the ones that are out there as yeah, well. I mean, and there's a few others that get close, but I think this one goes as much over the top as he could. I think it's the most famous uh, episode by far from that series if you talk to well people who know yeah us, us old timers remember the time when there were like six quiet please shows known to exist that's all there were there were six that were i think it's six something like that that were found at wor in new york and j david golden was an engineer at wor he went out to the transmitter building or wherever they had some transcriptions stored 
and was copying them onto tape, and there were six episodes of Quiet, Please in that batch of transcription discs, and this was one of the six. The others are good, they're interesting, but they're nowhere near this. And when people heard this and then listened to the other five, they went, hmm, thing in the floorboard sure is weird and great. These others are good. Wonder what else there is. Mm -hmm. And then about 20 years later, I think it was about 20 years later, a relative of the announcer or, or Cooper, I can't remember who it is, but a relative of somebody associated with the show had a whole run of them underneath their bed in Florida. And those were copied, not very well, and they don't sound real well, but those were copied. And then all of a sudden we had like 60 of them to listen to. And then there's all kinds of surprises within those 60. But that was the most sought after horror program of all time uh, when I was collecting years ago, just based on the thing on the Flogo board. And that must have been pretty exciting to listen to those for the first time. Yeah. When they had when been the, when lost. The, when the new 50 or so episodes showed up, 50 and, or 60 episodes, it was like, wow! <laughs> and Willis Cooper was well known for Lights Out, because he actually created Lights Out yeah, before it was, this. It was, I think it was him and Obler in the beginning, and then he left to go to Hollywood to work on Son of Frankenstein with Boris Karloff, and left Obler in charge of Lights Out, and it folded shortly thereafter, then it was revived with just Arch Obler doing it. And then later, somewhere after Quiet Please or somewhere just before, it was revived again and Willis Cooper was in charge of writing again and Obler was off doing 3D movies or whatever he was doing. So I don't know that I've heard any from that run. I don't know if they exist, but hope so because I know they're going to be good. Well, who knows? Uh, we're uh, discovering these things all the time. And we're trying. that... <laughs> were thought to have been lost, are occasionally turning up. So. Yeah, there haven't been any great horror shows turn up lately. Uh, Jerry Hendigas came up with a Lost Quiet Please last year. Unfortunately, it's not that great. It's mm -hmm. okay. But it, we all had hopes that when he did, it would be a great one. But eh, it was just okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's it. And, that's it? Uh, we've talked about the five shows that were voted for. for. Okay, now you gotta <laughs> you got to get these people to go out and vote and change that all around so we can do this again. Well, I can't force people to go do things, but no. we do encourage you. We have the Facebook page, and I know a lot of people don't use Facebook. And we have Gab. Unfortunately, I would be doing a poll over there, except they only let me do five different things, and we have ten to do. And oh, Facebook well, lets me we'll put have to all do the ten top five then. there. <laughs> uh, so if you liked listening to us banter back and forth about these programs and maybe get a little bit more insight and commentary than you get in the normal run of, a, of one of these shows, we could do these more often with different topics. So here, how about this? How about people listening to this Send something to Facebook and say, did you like this or did you not like this? Should we do more like this or should we do less like this? Should we just shut up and play radio shows? Or do you want to hear actual commentary about radio shows? We well, can leave I, it at that. This is I'm the sure grand experiment. People will want to hear the radio shows, and that's the number one thing that we're going to do. But um, 
let's say we're doing one of these top 10 lists or something, um, just as a nice closure to it, we can uh, have you go out and vote for the episode that you think is the best, and then we can just use that as a way to kind of summarize what we've done and to talk about all these great radio shows. That's fine with me. More. Let's let's so. see what kind of comments we get. All right. Are we going to just have the silent majority out there who's not going to vote? <laughs> or are we'll we going to shame have to, them? Gonna, am I going to shame them into voting? <laughs> Better uh, vote. It's all right. Uh, if you just want to listen to the show, that's I fine guess. and dandy. If you just want to live in America but watch it go downhill, <laughs> that's fine too. Uh, all right. Well. <laughs> enough voting or non-voting commentary. So I'll let you sign off, John, in the way that you do. Again, check out our website. That's the number one place. All the episodes, as you mentioned earlier in this podcast, are posted there. And our vast archive of so far, however many we've got posted there now, go check it out. Check it all out. We will be back next week and start our new series of the top 10 most interesting adventure programs, some of which kind of border on horror, but not quite. These are more more adventure. All right. So until then, this is John Tefteller and the Good Old Days of Radio Show. Thanks to producer Daniel Chase for sitting here and letting me uh, jabber on a little bit and throw in some crazy comments. And we will be back again. Good night. Goodbye. Goodbye.